Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Donald Kendall, a research fellow for the Socialism Research Center at the Heartland Institute and contributor to Glenn Beck's latest book, Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. And Donald Kendall, thank you for joining us today on The Schilling Show Unleashed. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. So I want to go back to The Great Reset, which was its whole other book and really a lot of important information there, but it sets kind of the table for this discussion. So tell us a little bit about The Great Reset, whose idea and what was the purpose of it? Yeah, so The Great Reset, that book actually spawned uh, from a conversation that I had with the co-author, Justin Haskins, I don't know, a year and a half before that book came out, where he literally just called me over the phone and was like, uh, you know, have you heard of this great reset thing? I'm like, no, I haven't. He starts reading me off all of these quotes of all of these very important, influential people, all using the term, the great reset, stakeholder capitalism. And like, so we started looking into it. And, you know, there was a few like conspiracy theory type things, but we were looking into it and reading the actual documents from these places that are associated with these people talking about this stuff. And we realized that there was something going on here mm. and that something going on here was far from a conspiracy theory and more into the realm of conspiracy fact. Yeah. And what we uncovered was this whole plan, this whole agenda to create a stakeholder capitalism model as opposed to what they call our current model which is shareholder capitalism, or at least that was our current model however long ago. Yes. And the backbone of this entire plan was ESG. That was basically what we came to the conclusion of. ESG, a couple of other components, but the real backbone of this great reset plan was ESG. Mm. And I think by now most people are familiar with ESG, but it boils down to a social credit score for companies. It's a way that, like I said, turning the shareholder capitalism model where companies are basically just chasing a profit and a profit at all costs, if you want to go uh, the rhetoric of the other side with this stuff, mm-hmm. and replacing it with a stakeholder model where all stakeholders are taken into account. And how do you do this? Well, you establish ESG metrics, and these ESG metrics range from uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion type things, all the way to environmental standards, your carbon footprint, uh, your water usage, all of these things. And then you judge a company or an industry based on their adherence to these metrics. Some people might hear that and think, okay, well, that's not, that's not a terrible thing. But when you, you realize pretty quickly that the genius behind this plan is that those metrics are all subjective. Some of them less so than others, you know, like a, you can judge apples to apples, a, a company's uh, water usage compared to another company's water usage and ding them accordingly. But how do those metrics meld with each other? 
how many points does water usage get to, you know, a, a diverse board of directors or something like that? So it's all subjective and the weights given to these things give the people that make the rules all of the control in the industry, in the in the company, in, in the economy. So that's the real genius of this. That's the great reset plan is that it gives the rule makers, the people that are constructing these ESG metrics, the power over the economy. They're the ones that get to dictate the agenda. They're the ones that get to decide who gets punished and who gets rewarded. They get to decide which industries get pushed forward and which ones are pulled back on the reins. That's the great reset. And that's, that's the first book that really established the foundation of this entire thing. Now, Donald, there are some pretty important players here, and referenced a lot in Dark Future is Klaus Schwab. I'd like to talk about Klaus Schwab, who this is, and what his significance is in this movement. Yeah, he is definitely one of the power players of this all. He is the president and founder of the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is most popular for hosting their Davos conference every year, and in the, you know, what was it, the Swiss Alps over there, wherever the James Bond villains like to meet every year. And, uh, and what makes him so special is that, um, basically everyone that's of importance takes him seriously. So he's able to get the, the biggest heads of state and the biggest heads of these companies and big tech and all of this stuff to, to go to these conferences where they basically map out what the future is going to look like. And when you have all of these people in the same room and they're all uh, networking after the meeting, all, all of this stuff, like you see some real policy being formed there. Um, usually when Davos comes around uh, the news cycle, it, the stories from the mainstream press, and actually there's no stories from the mainstream press, but any stories from like the mainstream conservative side of things is usually confined to just like the hypocrisy of of these global elites flying their private jets across the world to attend Davos. And that's about it. But if you look deeper and you actually watch the panels and all of this, you hear them say some pretty like egregious stuff. And that's like the best part of these two books, the great reset and dark future is that we use their direct quotes where they say this, this isn't reading between the lines. This is just listening to what they have to say. And the other thing is, that when the cameras aren't on, there's also a lot of stuff going on. So some of the carbon zero initiatives brought brought on by insurance companies or financial companies, or they're called like G fans. I forget exactly. It's just at the top of my head what those stands for, but it's like these alliances for net zero mm-hmm. uh, for insurance companies or something like that. Those deals are struck up at these conferences like Davos. So Klaus Schwab is instrumental in basically putting these people together uh, where he can kind of initiate plans uh, without the need for uh, international legislation or anything like that. So that's uh, another part of the genius of this Great Reset thing is that it doesn't require legislation, even treaties or anything like that. This is, quote unquote, private businesses, quote unquote, voluntarily interacting with each other. So that's like another big piece of this great reset agenda following the great reset and the next step is the great narrative and that's a that's a term that probably a lot of people have not yet heard so what distinguishes the great narrative from the great reset this is kind of a funny side note with the the great reset which is that was their term sounds always uh, all sinister yeah. and 
conspiracy theory. And it, and it sounds like, you know, we made it up, but we didn't. That was like the name of their conference. It's called the Great Reset. <laughs> we just started repeating it. <laughs> and and we started repeating it so much and it started to get so much attention, especially after the first book came out, that they literally ran away from the term. Uh, and it's uh, there's a video that's it's infamous for me. I, I don't know how infamous it is, you know, around um, these circles. But they basically put out a video apologizing for using the term the Great uh, Reset. <laughs> and, uh, and they had like another conference that was going to have the Great Reset label on it. But uh, they changed it. Now it was called like a... a an agenda or whatever, something really like non nefarious sounding their next wave of stuff all had this great narrative. Shouldn't sound quite as nefarious, but this was based around a conference, I believe in the Arab Emirates and it was called the great narrative. And again, if you go and just listen to it, right, you just listen to Klaus Schwab and Al Gergawi talking about the great narrative. They talk about how, it's very important to create a great narrative and it's, and it's essentially boils down to a story uh, that if they get everyone believing this story, then everyone can move in the right direction. And if everyone's believing different stories or have a different worldview, then we're all going to be scattered in our aims for society. But if we all adhere to a great narrative, then we can all make sure that we're going in the right direction. But then it's also, again, listening to these same panels and these same speeches by these people, they talk about a blueprint for humanity and designing the future and all of this stuff where it's like they see themselves as the designers, not just like role players yeah. in society, but designers for society. And that's what really gets into the dark future stuff. So the, the great narrative, which was almost actually the name for the dark future mm-hmm. book, it was going to be called the great narrative, but it does kind of represent this larger scope that they have in mind for ESG and the great reset. One that really encompasses society, not just the economy, but all of society. That's the great narrative. So there's a bunch of stuff in the book and it's so deep on, on many of these topics. I want to touch on a few as we go through here because they're all critically important and they're all happening before our very eyes. The first one I'd like to talk about is chat GPT. I regularly interview college professors and uh, they're having to cope with this just in how their students are writing papers, but it goes far beyond that. Tell us a little bit about maybe the benefits and then some of the, the dark future of chat GPT. If we talk about a handful of technologies, you're going to hear me kind of saying the same thing at the beginning of each one of these, which is each one of these technologies that we see uh, coming down the pipe here has with it great potential and a great ability to benefit a lot of people. But it also comes with it a disruptive quality, a potential for that technology to be used to either design the future, like if I want to use the terms of the Klaus Schwab's and the World Economic Forums, or just generally control society to one degree or another. So ChatGPT, this one, took the world by storm and this, I think they released it. OpenAI released ChatGPT, a large language model. And I believe November of last year, and it took like a month or so before it really caught on. But then like millions of people were using it and millions of people were realizing that's like, this could be really useful. Yeah. So, I mean, ChatGPT, 
I mean, I probably can't go into like the, the specifics of it and how it works and all of that uh, without like reading my notes or something. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially what ChatGPT is, is it, they, they had a way of boiling down like everything down to a common language. And this common language is understood by this large language model. And people try to write it off. It's like, oh, no, it's just like a very complex, like, sentence finishing machine like you have on, like, text message where you it kind of guesses what your next word is going to be. But it's really much more important than that because each one of these systems – well, let me back up uh, one second because there's a thing, you know, we we, kind of talk about chat GPT in the terms of artificial intelligence. But artificial intelligence is a very broad term. Um, there's actually kind of three stages of artificial intelligence. And one of them, the side on the least technically advanced part of the spectrum, yes. is called ANI. It's artificial narrow intelligence. And this is just basically complex algorithms. And you have complex algorithms and basically everything that you interact with today. Uh, a good example of this would be like Netflix. You turn on Netflix, and based on an algorithm of you interacting with Netflix, it guesses what type of product you might want to watch next. Yes. Because it's really good at figuring out, like, okay, you like this style of stuff, you'll probably like this show or this movie or something. But if you were trying to use that algorithm from Netflix to do a math equation, it can't figure that out because it's very narrowly tailored to one task. The next level of stuff is artificial general intelligence where that's humanity, humans are like very good. We have a organic general intelligence where we're pretty good in a lot of different things. You know, you can uh, be cooking dinner and then turn around and start doing a puzzle or something like that, like two totally different things, but your humans are generally good at a bunch of different stuff. ChatGPT in the large language model is starting to move in that direction where you can ask ChatGPT to outline a, uh, a, a schedule for events or something like that, um, and it'll do it. Uh, you can ask it to recite you a recipe to make French toast, and it can do it. And then you can immediately ask it to write poetry five seconds later, and it can do it. Because it's been able to work off of this common language uh, across a whole bunch of different fields. People think that it hasn't reached true artificial general intelligence but this is the first real step in that direction. So it's a big step in artificial intelligence from the ANI towards artificial general intelligence. That's kind of like the kind of more meta importance of the release of ChatGPT. The Ceiling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Donald Kendall in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. That's Shillingshowmedia.com. 
looking out for us. Rob Schraub. Book is Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. Our guest is contributor to that book, Donald Kendall. We're talking about some of the many changes that are happening right before our very eyes. One of these is automation, and uh, we're seeing it in stores, uh, also coming soon to banking. Tell us about the significance and the impact of those changes and where it goes from there. The automation thing and advanced robotics and all of that, that comprises up like almost two full chapters of this book. Like we could talk about artificial intelligence turning into super intelligence or brain chips or anything like that. That kind of comprised like the later portion of the book. Um, But the stuff that's going to like happen soon, stuff that we have to like deal with the potential ramifications of in the short term Mm -hmm really come down in those couple of chapters talking about automation. We, we've seen, we've heard of the fear of automation for a long time. I mean, we can go back to people worried about losing textile jobs because of sewing machines or something like that, right? But the new era of automation is something that we should probably be concerned about and figure out contingency plans for. Because not only are we seeing advanced robotics in all types of different industries, uh, on assembly lines or even robots that are doing like this package sorting at Amazon, you know, warehouses. But we're starting to see, you know, the idea of self-driving cars, right? This this is my favorite example when it comes to this kind of category of stuff is the idea of self-driving cars. And I know that we've been kind of promised this for a while. Um, I remember several years ago that them saying, oh, yeah, self-driving cars by 2020, uh-huh. 2023, and I still don't own one. I'm driving my own car to work like a schmuck over uh-huh. here. But but we, we can't be complacent with this. Like they are they are going to happen. Uh, just recently, Tesla released their whatever level add on to their Tesla cars where it's basically full self-driving. You still have to be sitting in the driver's seat and be able to take the wheel if something happens, but it could take you on the highway, take you on side streets. It could figure it all out. So we are potentially within just a handful of years away from a scenario where we are getting into like a a self-driving car phase of society. And this you know, has a lot of potential impacts. I mean, there's some societal things we could talk about, but in terms of jobs, and one person that's talked about this for a while is Andrew Yang, when he talked about the idea of long haul truckers being put out of business by self-driving cars. There's a large class of people that do Uber, like a daily, that's how they make their living, doing Uber. And all of these could potentially be replaced with self-driving cars in pretty short order. That's concerning because it's happening quickly. Yes. When when these advancements happened back in the day with the sewing machines or whatever it was, it's happened over a, like a longer period of time. There's a slow transition, and those people over you know either it's not that they developed new skills necessarily. It's just like by the time that their job was really taken over, they were it was time for them to retire. Whereas this, it could happen quickly, and you could theoretically see like millions of jobs, a long haul truck driver type of jobs be automated and and quickly to a point where those people that are now displaced won't have the time to basically figure out what to do next. 
And, and you see that in a whole bunch of different areas. And even we just talked about ChatGPT. ChatGPT harnesses the power to put a lot of people out of jobs. And I'm talking like, you know, most businesses have editors. Uh, most businesses have emails that go out and press, re- uh, press releases or memos or anything, uh, articles that need to be put out or any number of written things. So all of those companies have an editor on staff, an editor that can go through and make sure everything is proper, grammar and spelling and all of that. But ChatGPT potentially has the power. I'm not saying I've done this. But you can load load an article or a piece, a document into ChatGPT, and it can scan it for all of that stuff and fix it for you in a second. You don't have to wait for, you know, Pete in editing to take three days to edit your thing. You have ChatGPT do it in a second. No job is safe uh, when we're talking about self-driving cars on one end of the spectrum, ChatGPT doing a whole bunch of stuff on the other side of the spectrum. Like we're talking about the potential of major job losses here. And that's not just me talking. There's a whole bunch of different people that have studies out there and projections for the future talking about job losses in the tens of millions. So it's something that we have to be concerned about uh, because, you know, like I said, it could all happen quickly. The advent of ChatGPT, like I said, is only a few months old. It's only getting more and more advanced. So it's something that we have to uh, be concerned about. And this is the disruption you know, the Klaus Schwab's talk about with the advent of what he calls the fourth industrial revolution, which is just a catch all for all of these different technologies that are coming down the pipe here. You know, something that concerns me greatly because of the implications and ramifications is the changeover to digital money, which appears to be happening whether we want it or not. And I guess the greatest concern over central bank digital currency is that every single purchase that we make, uh, every transaction would be monitored immediately by the government. Uh, that's a horrible thing. Is that actually what's going to be happening to us and sometime soon? I think so. Uh, the speed and the uniformity of all of these different central banks around the world, all pursuing this central bank-backed digital currency, I mean, I can't think of any other example like that. Like you look at some of these watchdog groups that are kind of keeping an eye on the uh, advancement of central bank backed uh, digital currencies. And there are, I think the latest thing I had seen, and this is a few months ago, so the number could have been higher, but it was saying 93% of central banks around the world have a, either a pilot or a, a program launched already or in the research phase of, of doing their own CBDC. This, I, I think, is a really important thing. Well, there's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind. One is that people conflate the idea of central bank-backed digital currencies, CBDCs, with a, a digital currency, like Bitcoin or something like that, cryptocurrency. And they are vastly different things. And we painstakingly explain the difference uh, in the book, The The Dark Future, where cryptocurrencies, while there's a bunch of goofy ones out there and, and, you know, the the prices going up and down like crazy over the past several years, um, it really does uh, show a very important technology that's out there, a technology that can kind of like unleash or basically take us off the leash of fiat currencies created by a government. It opens the door for a a vast amount of decentralization in the finance industry and monetary industry policy. 
where the people that are that own the currencies could be you or I could have control over it uh, in ways that you couldn't with just like a like the dollar system that we have here. So it, that that technology that underlies cryptocurrencies is a very important thing. I feel like that technology will inevitably catch on, at least in some realms. So to undercut that, what the government is doing, they're doing like a two-point plan. One is they, they want to put more and more restrictions on cryptocurrency to kind of keep them out of the mainstream. But two, they want to release their CBDC, uh, which has with it some of the qualities of a cryptocurrency, some of the benefits of a cryptocurrency, a digital currency like that. But it's not the same thing at all because the CBDC is not decentralized. It's incredibly centralized. And instead of allowing a somewhat anonymous use of of a value system like Bitcoin or something like that, this is very not anonymous. Like you said, uh, it could be tracked down to pennies. Some of these plans that are out there basically remove the banking intermediaries between the central bank that established the CBDC and the end user, where essentially you would have, the individual would have a Federal Reserve bank account with that currency in it. So it's just you and the Fed, and they control all of it. And they're able to track everything. And you might think like, okay, well, whatever. No one's keeping an eye on me. It's not like there's some IRS agent that's sitting there just watching my account or something like that. And that is another thing that like this, this AI kind of comes into the realm, all these advanced algorithms and whatnot, because the need for a human to sit there and keep tabs on any other individual human is, is an outdated concept. Now you can have an algorithm or artificial intelligence that can sift through your data in seconds and come up with any type of end results that they're searching for or the government searching for or concerned about in that given week or month. So yeah, the CBDCs is definitely something to be concerned about. Uh, we've already seen federal action on this. Probably about a year ago, Joe Biden released an executive order, yes. signed an executive order ordering all of these different agencies to take a look at, do research on how CBDCs would impact their industry, or at least from their industry's perspective. So we haven't seen anything happen on that yet outside of this research phase, but it is moving forward in all of these different countries. The European Union is supposed to have a vote on this in October. Russia just established their CBDC pilot, which is going to be rolling out in major cities like today, maybe. I think it might actually be today, uh, the 15th of August. China's been doing it, but like I said, 93% of all central banks are pursuing this plan. So again, like all of these people moving in concert with each other, I can't imagine it's a coincidence. And I do feel like it's being done for a reason uh, and not just, you know, "Eh, we'll take a look at this. I don't buy it. (laughs) I don't buy that. So yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Donald Kendall, finally, And briefly, is there any hope? Is there any glimmer of hope on the horizon? Because people could look at all the things we've been talking about and so much more in the book, Dark Future, and say that it's just hopeless. It might be crazy because, you know, we can talk about a whole bunch of other things, too. I still look at all of this stuff and feel a little optimistic. Again, that might sound crazy given all the things that we're talking about, but the game-changing quality of some of the stuff that we're talking about, whether it's uh, you know artificial intelligence and chat GPT, 
or, uh, you know, we didn't even get into like quantum computing and all of that. They have these game changing qualities that just like, it's hard to predict. It can go wildly in one direction or wildly in another direction. So while we kind of lay out how these technologies could be used and to control or, or push us in different directions or something by these elites, Klaus Schwab and all of that, they also have the potential to completely unleash human potential in a way that can't be controlled. So I, I do have a little bit of optimism when it comes to all of this stuff. But I think what we do need, and this is the whole point of the book, we need to recognize that these things are out there, that these concerns are out there. Because right now, it's just these Davos elites. It's just these big tech companies that are taking part in this conversation. This book is to basically get everyone that's willing to read this book Glenn Beck fans, conservatives, all of this stuff to read this book and recognize that these things are happening so that we can join the conversation. And if we're part of the conversation, hopefully we can stave off some of the more dire things that these elite people are planning and maybe inject some free market, individual liberty type concepts into these things as well. That's the goal of the book. Donald Kendall, if people want to get a copy of the book, Dark Future, if they want to follow your work online, tell us how we can do those things. There's a few ways that you can go and get the book. Uh, local bookstore purchases is the best way to do it if you really want to support local business. Um, unfortunately, the most convenient way of getting the book is Amazon. Um, if you want to see the work that that we're contributing to, the uh, heartland.org is the easiest way to go there uh, to see that. StoppingSocialism.com if you want to see the work of specifically the Socialism Research Center. And also weekly, we do the In the Tank podcast uh, where we cover various topics that relate to this, climate change, public policy, all that type of good stuff. It's such a good book with such good information and important as well. Donald Kendall, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you for having me on. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. Until next time.